Welcome to this edition of Agro Africa, coming to you from Channel Africa, the African perspective, and Johannesburg, South Africa. You're with me, Sydney. In the program this week, we continue listening to South African youth who have changed the events of June 16, 1976, from bitterness to a lively agricultural entrepreneurship. We also hear about other stories from across the continent. Stay tuned as we hear how careers regarded as being gender-specific are today being followed by all sexes. It is during that era when even songs were indicating loss of confidence in the future of a nation. the youth of 1976 faced different challenges than we are today. As a matter of fact, we are reaping some of the benefits of some of the fights that they fought at the time. But some of the challenges that we face as youth today, particularly in South Africa. Mantande Precious Yeki is an agricultural economist with the National Agricultural Marketing Board in South Africa. The participation um, between the youth of 1976 and now is that obviously we have passed through the apartheid era. We are now in a democratic country which with much more opportunities and open opportunities for everyone. So there are opportunities to study, there are opportunities to acquire land, there are opportunities to access finance within this space. So those are the key opportunities that are there. And there are also opportunities to, for an open market, for us to participate in an open market within the agricultural space. You are one person that is involved in assisting, you know, the young farmers um, you know, to, to do well in agriculture. Tell us more about your involvement, Precious. So my involvement in helping the youth to participate in agriculture. So I am involved in what we have as the organization as the Transformation Review Committee where we have a number of um, agricultural commodity groups that pay levies and those um, out of those levies, 20% of that levy is dedicated for transformation funds. And transformation funds are to cater for all the previously disadvantaged group, which includes um, youth, women, um, um, all the black participants within the agricultural sector. So what we do, we ensure that those agricultural um, 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 industries, they implement projects that are going to help um, these um, agricultural um, aspiring farmers to, 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 to gain the necessary information and also to have the necessary inputs to, 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 to participate fully um, in farming. We're talking about here uh, a state of agriculture from 1976 to date. What is the state of uh, the current state of food security in terms of food security? Because when you talk about agri- agriculture, we talk yeah. about food. Now, mm-hmm. what is the state of uh, food security, particularly in South Africa today? Um, 
South Africa is, is, is mostly deemed as a food secure country nationally because we produce enough staple food and we are a net exporter of agricultural commodities. And with that being said, one could easily assume that food is available and accessible to all Africans at all times, but it is not the case. So about 9.3 million people in South Africa, which is 16% of our population, is estimated to be food insecure. And 25% of children under under the age of six years are faced with um, their development being stunted because of malnutrition. And KZN and Gauteng are one of of the most affected province, of course, justified by the upward trend um, in urbanization in the country. And you must also um, remember that um, um, food insecurity in, 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 in South Africa has the face, and the face is, is, is mostly the poor um, um, black people. So that is the state of food security in South Africa. But if you look at it very seriously, you you would, as a, an organization, you might have found a trend. Now, how did we get here? Mm. Looking at the trends that you have. Despite everything that has happened over the past years, South Africa still continues to, to, to face major challenges of poverty, unemployment, and more recently, steep increases in, in food prices and fuel prices, energy tariffs, interest rates. So important to know that um, poverty and unemployment have a strong link to, to, to food insecurity. And food insecurity begins with the loss of employment, which turns into a major downgrade in a living standard. And the pandemic has resulted, to speak about a much more recent case, the pandemic has resulted to a loss of 2 million jobs since last year. And, 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 and also we must know that um, food insecurity in South Africa is mainly re- related to, to, the, to the lack of, of food purchasing power. So no income, it means no ability to buy food. And also just lastly, um, we cannot shy away from what the, 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 the apartheid did because, <clears throat> because um, now, as a result of that, people were were, were dispossessed um, assets, lands, livestock, and so on. As a matter of fact, those are one of the causes for food insecurity. As an organization, directly to the farmer, what mm. is your role in trying to help the farmer on the ground? More especially, that young farmer who mm. is burning to be a successful mm. farmer. Okay. So there are a number of things that we do as the organization to help farmers, but I'll name a few. For instance, one of our divisions within the NAMC, we um, there is a program called a development scheme that helps to facilitate the implementation of development schemes within with both private and public sector or public um, institution. What I mean by that, we basically group uh, farmers to ensure that um, they meet the market demand. For instance, if farmer A has four um, tomatoes and farmer B has six tomatoes and the market needs um, 
10 tomatoes. So we group those two farmers and link them up with that market that requires 10 um, 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 tomatoes. So that is one of the things that we do. And also, um, as, as the NAMC, we have a project um, that we are running with the UK government and uh, FANAPAN, which is um, an organization that we host as the NAMC on a diplomatic status at the, at, in South Africa. So the project that is, is, is on climate change, as you know that um, drought and climate change, they do affect um, food systems. As you've seen in 2015, we faced a major um, a drought and food um, systems were uh, largely affected. So this, um, there's a four-year project that we run with other um, stakeholders that aims to make agriculture and food system in, in sub-Saharan Africa more productive, sustainable, and resilient to climate change. So that um, project um, is implemented in the free state where we are collecting evidence so that we can advise on, on which direction that the policies must take in terms of climate change issues. And also at the NAMC, one of the things that we have is information on, 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 on markets. With the market um, research center within the NAMC, they have reports on, on, on food um, price monitoring, which is done, some are done on a monthly and quarterly basis. They, they, they advise consumers and producers on food prices and all the input uh, prices that are there in the production cycle. listening to Agro Africa coming to you from Channel Africa the African perspective in Johannesburg South Africa in the program this week we once again look at the involvement of youth in agriculture we are speaking to a young agricultural economist from South Africa earlier we heard how events of June 16 in South Africa propelled an evolution in previously disadvantaged sections of the people in South Africa to be involved in agriculture. We are speaking to Namantande Precious Sieki, an agricultural economist, about the state of affairs in South Africa, in as far as the involvement of youth in agriculture is concerned. But what are the challenges faced by young farmers, especially locally? From South Africa's youth, we take you to Ghana, where we hear about young people's involvement in tree planting. What do you see when you look at a tree? A thing of beauty? A natural resource? A place to get shelter from rain or sun? In Ghana, the Forestry Research Institute has recently begun a project to teach school children more about trees. Project is also working in six other countries. So what is behind this project? And what do they want the children to learn? To find out more, Avese Aso visited a forest reserve near Kumasi, met with tree scientist Paul Bosu. What we realized recently is that in order to get the trees to be planted or to get the forest protected, we need to get people to understand that it is important to plant trees. Unfortunately, it's not been that easy to convince people. 
because in Africa we grew up to see a lot of forests and a lot of trees around, this notion that forests are made by God is there, so it's difficult to convince. And we think that it would be a good idea if we want to educate people to plant trees to start right from the beginning, so that by getting children very early in their growth to grasp this concept that trees have to be planted, forests have to be protected, we'll be able to create a generation, a future generation of children who are not like us and our parents, who can be sure that they need to plant trees and protect forests. So has anything towards uh, achieving this goal, getting children involved in planting of trees, has anything started in that direction? Yes, um, I have to say that we have only recently started and we have started by education. We have selected around our research institute, within the catchment area of our research institute. So far we have about 12 to 16 schools. And we are going there, visiting them uh, once or twice a week to tell them about the importance of trees, the importance of forests, and what happens when we lose trees, what happens when we lose our forests. And then what we are doing is that we are aiming at gradually getting them to say that, no, let's start planting. And of course, we are raising seedlings, and we have a plan to, when the rains begin in June, July, help them to start planting trees. So we have started the education now. So do you include anything uh, like the science of trees yes. in the education? Yes, yes. We, of course, uh, they already, most of the children have from their basic science classes, they know about trees. They know about the functions of the leaves and of the roots and other things. So they have those bases. And what we are adding is the other things that they don't know. For example, when it comes to the role of trees in reducing greenhouse gases and eliminating global warming, that is what they don't know. And you know, those concepts, even for adults, are difficult. So we are trying to let them get those basic concepts so that they will get the joy of planting trees. Now, since this is happening, yeah. um, do you see any change in the notion that forests are natural? in the teachers and the children. Do you see them changing that notion? Oh, it's quite short, but I think that even before we started, that thought, that feeling is beginning to show. Last year, we wanted to start last year, and we made some advances. We had to go and see the district education uh, office. And from there, even before we took off, the education office came to our institute and requested that we help them with some seedlings. So last year we helped them with, with thousand seedlings, and that was even before the formal takeoff of our project. So definitely, there's something happening. From your position, do you think that this should happen in all the schools, not just the 15 schools that you've started? The yeah, definitely. Um, in fact, that's our our target. This program that we are doing, we have other colleagues in other countries. We met at a meeting somewhere and we got this idea. So we have about six countries that are also involved, that we are doing it on pilot basis. But then hopefully if we get the pilot uh, right and we are able to uh, find out the best way to do this, then we will definitely uh, expand to other places. We might definitely bring in the Ministry, Ghana Education Service, and even the Ministry of Environment and Forestry. But at this point, we are piloting, but our target is for the whole country.
are listening to Agro Africa, coming to you from Channel Africa, the African Perspective. In the program this week, we are looking at climate smart agriculture by taking a holistic view of tree planting. So stay tuned. We often hear about the importance of trees and the need to plant trees. But what about in towns and cities? Should tree planting be encouraged in urban areas? And if so, what kind of trees should be planted? Ornamental trees? Fruit trees? Perhaps a mixture of different types? In our next report, Avesi Aso comes again to find out she begins by talking to Rovans Ousu Taki, a tree specialist at the Kumasi Institute of Tropical Agriculture in Ghana. He's very worried about what is happening to trees in many of Africa's towns and cities. Because of urbanization, trees are being cut down for settlement and for road construction, which is very unfortunate. One thing that could be done is that when trees are cut down, they should be rearranged and planted along the streets or in clusters for as woodlot in order to help improve the conditions in the cities. There's a lot of heat in the cities, which comes out of the global warming, and the trees cool down the atmosphere and brings a good environment for people to sit and talk and do the activities under the trees. Trees also take carbon out of the atmosphere so that with the cars that are coming up and down and the trees in the cities can help suck out the carbon dioxide in the atmosphere so that every morning the trees ensure that there is rich oxygen for people to breathe. So trees have a lot of benefits, especially these purposes I've mentioned. It's about midday and as in households across Africa, a woman is sweeping the falling leaves away. It can be a never-ending task. For this and other reasons, not everyone sees trees in towns and cities as beneficial. Bernice Ajekwana lives in Tamale in Ghana. She's interested in planting trees. Trees are very important and we need them in our cities because trees help to provide shade and modify the environment. But if it is not done well, it can be a big headache. For instance, if you choose a tree species that produces so many leaves that fall down every day, that means every day you have to be sweeping. It's a big headache because most people don't have time to sweep. Another thing is that some of these trees have roots that spread. So if you plant them along the streets, with time the roots go under the streets and then they cause a lot of problems. Some even you can find the streets becoming big, something like a, a speed ramp, just because of the trees, the roots of the trees under it. So they destroy some of our roots. It's the same thing if you plant it close to your house and the roots don't go deep, but rather spread. You can get cracks in your walls and eventually they will destroy the foundation of your house. So I think trees are important in our cities, but then we must be careful the kind of species we choose to plant and where we plant them. Yes, planting the right trees in the right places would be a great resource in our own towns and cities. 
but what types of trees would be appropriate? Here is Lovers Owosutachi again. For urban settlements, we select trees that have ornamental uses, trees that can be planted on the streets, which roots does not come up too much to destroy the streets, like the Kaya Ivorensis, like the and Kaya Senegalensis, like the mahogany tree, the Melitia, the neem tree, Casia Sim is one fast-growing tree that has beautiful flowers, broad leaves, and then branches have, are well dispersed that can create shade that people can sit under it and also helps break the wind from coming into the settlement. And apart from planting trees for shade and beautification, there are other benefits that we can get from planting trees in our cities. The fruits and nuts they offer are a great resource for city dwellers. Emmanuel Zungwene Otese of the Akberan Oshi College of Agriculture, Yandev in Nigeria, tells us about a few other benefits from trees. Fruit trees in urban areas include mango, oye palm, cashew. You also have purple. Another area we want to talk about is animals. What kinds of trees are there for the animals to feed on? I'm going to recommend trees like marina. I can also recommend something like cashew because cashew plantations can be good places for animals to graze in between. So despite the inconvenience of falling leaves, the fruits, nuts, timber and other things that trees produce offer lots of benefits to those of us who live in towns and cities. Won't it be nice then if you plant one tree today? Standing here in the midst of so many trees, seeds being processed for planting, do you see farmers more interested in farming with trees now? Yeah, I think so. Farmers are becoming increasingly interested in tree planting because they have come to recognize the importance of tree crops, the improvement of their livelihoods, and also gradually appreciating that trees are important in moderating the climate and several other benefits that they derive from trees. We'd like to get some of these yeah, benefits. Of course, um, there are trees that they will grow probably for fruit, for timber, for poles, for housing. Some are medicinal, and increasingly it's becoming more and more expensive to depend on orthodox medicine. 
But there are a large host of tree species that have medicinal properties for different kinds of diseases. And, um, you know, our forefathers have used these medicines, but because the trees are getting finished, more or less, it means that we have to find ways of growing some more trees, and especially if it's for medicinal purposes, for food, and on top of that also for cash income, then it becomes important for them. Well, we'd like some few examples of maybe medicinal trees and timber trees and all that. Just a few examples. Right. Among the exotics that they are interested in is teak. Cidrella is also fast-growing, and it's just like mahogany in a way, so they are interested in that. There are trees like Halamblachia, which is becoming increasingly of interest to the farmers because large-scale industrial concerns would want to buy the fruits for margarine, for different products, confectionaries. Even mahogany trees are a very good source of medicine for all kinds of ailments. And when they know this, these are some of the trees that they want to grow. Farmers are becoming more and more interested in planting trees. What skills would these farmers need? Well, they would need to know that the trees, um, in the first place, need attention. There must be weeding so that you prevent weeds choking the seedlings, especially in the early stages. In the early stages, they are also prone to attack by insects like grasshoppers, like some caterpillars that will feed on the leaves and kill the trees. So they have to weed in the early stages. That's important. They need to know also that in the initial stages, you are planting trees very close together. But that means competition. And for them to grow well, with time, you have to thin out some of the trees. That means removing some of the trees so that the others can grow well. They also need to know that as a tree grows, in some trees there can be excessive branching. So those trees will have to be tended by the removal of the branches so that they can grow properly. If you want straight form for timber, then you know there are kinds of things that you have to do in terms of pruning and management. In tree planting, who makes a better farmer? Is it the women or the men? In my view, the women are better because they have kind of patience in dealing with the seedlings, handling the seedlings and planting them. Even with weeding, you know, women are patient, they would weed around the tree crops. The men are in a hurry and in the end um, they don't make very good in tree husbandry. In communities, of course, the women also are responsible for making sure that the farm grows well in a way. And when you put trees, again, they take up that responsibility nicely. How can farming with trees help farmers cope with challenges of climate change? In the first place, where as a result of the change in climate, we are losing vegetation. It also means that if the forest is all gone, the soil that is left or the area that is left degraded has soils that are no longer suitable. It means then that when they grow their crops, the crops won't yield well. They don't do well because of water problems. But farmers also know that when the trees are there, then the trees help to moderate the climate, like rain comes at the right time, the environment is cool enough, and then, you know, the various things that go on, nutrient cycling, um, organic matter in the soil, it's all enhanced. And that's how then um, they would be able to grow food crops and get better yields. 
I would encourage them to see trees as a um, vital component in the environment that would help us to maintain our streams flowing, bring the rain at the right time, not too much sun scorching our food crops. So they should be up and doing, growing uh, more trees, uh, if not only for cash at the end of the day, at least to ensure that our climate changes much more slowly than it's likely to do if we did not maintain trees in the environment. South Africa recently hosted the 17th Ordinary Session of the African Ministerial Conference on the Environment, otherwise called AMSEN, in Durban. The theme for the event was Taking Action for Environment Sustainability and Prosperity in Africa at the Olive Convention Center. The session focused on how Africa can advance in the green economy. Leanne Manas speaks now to Natanya Bota, Head of Membership at Wildlife Society for Southern Africa, WISA. Well, it's definitely hoping to achieve uh, from a bottom-down approach for commitment towards the green and blue economy and also just to have commitment from governments uh, to, to see this transition that, that has to take place. And, uh, yeah, so it, it's really, it's, it's very intense, and uh, we hope to, to have a, a good uh, outcome of, of the conference. Good. Well, I mean, so far we, we really do, if we look at the globe, we see that the Scandinavian countries are leading the way when it comes to green technology and, and the environment. How does Africa fit into this? How, how are we faring in the greater scheme of things? Well, I would say we have to look at the fact that do we have the capacity and do we have the critical skills that is needed for the transition to happen. Um, I don't think there's enough emphasis in Africa on uh, environmental education and also the, the, the environment itself. We, we have to look at our minerals, our natural resources, our habitats and our biodiversity. And we have to have an inclusive approach uh, with a grassroots, uh, from a grassroots level. And we then have to say, do we really have the capacity for Africa for the transition to take place? And once we address the, the, the skill shortages in, in South Africa and the rest of Africa, then only will we be able to implement and advance the green economy as well as the blue economy and the wildlife economy. So this theme this year that's being tackled, taking action for environmental sustainability and prosperity in Africa, although there seems to be a, a direction to greener technology and economy, it's not necessarily a cheaper route. Can Africa afford to go this route? I think we should rather ask the question that it's not about affordability. I think Africa does have capital. Um, it's more that the skills, do we have the skills to implement the technology and do we have the capacity um, in, in terms also of, um, yeah, do, I, I think we do have. And uh, 
for we, we, we I think for Africa to to just look at uh, our current uh, physical pollution that that is happening, we have to address and uh, we have to have a mind shift from uh, 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 raising awareness to action, and uh, this action will lead the way for us uh, in Africa to take to take things forward. In, in the previous um, AMSIN session, uh, this was in, in Libreville in Gabon, it recognized the critical role of women entrepreneurs to increase the use of, of, of sustainable energy in Africa. I think what was also said, it was aware that, the, the, that environmental pollution is an increasing problem in Africa and that the major forms of pollution in Africa actually include indoor and outdoor air pollution. Has anything been done since then? I think there is a lot that has been done in terms of legislation, but we also need to look at the fact that anyone who aims to cause or who are causing pollution must pay for pollution. I think that Africa can definitely increase the tax on pollution, especially air pollution, um, due to the fact that uh, it, it is one of the major causes of death, of deaths worldwide. And uh, I would also like to touch base on waste pollution. Uh, mm. I don't think that we have fully formalized the, the waste industry. And there is definitely a gap in terms of waste. And, and we just need to be, be more uh, aggressive in terms of watchdogs and keep people accountable yeah. for air pollution and other physical pollutions that's taking place. Absolutely. I mean, I, I can't agree with you more. So. Through all of this, South Africa is actually taking over the presidency of, of, of Amkin from Gabon for the next two years. What, what would you like to see South Africa do about the green economy and climate change in Africa? I would definitely like to see them taking the lead in environmental education. Um, my organization, the Wildlife and Environment Society of South Africa, is really in the forefront of uh, environmental education and uh, we are here to help we are here to to guide and to govern and if people are not educated on the environment they will not know the the value of what the environment can be for them especially for future generations um, we need to protect we need to conserve and we ultimately need to take care of what we have because if we don't have it what is going to be there for generations after us to take over so i would really like to see south africa and the rest of africa to handle their minerals and the natural resources and habitats better um yeah we we have to take care of it that hope, we come to the end of the program this week where we looked at the effects of climate change on people and the land. We also tackled issues involving forest management in the continent. You heard stories from Ghana and other parts of the continent. Should you like to comment on this program, do so by tweeting us on Twitter handle AgroAfrica with a K or email us on agroafrica at channelafrica.org. This time, Africa with a C. We're also on DSTV Audio Bouquet 802, Satellite Past 10, and live streaming on www.channelafrica.org. Till next time, when we come again with this program, 
I am Sydney Kadunga Piri saying goodbye.